Amen. That is the, uh, the theme of today, that we look and seek to know Him more. Uh, we've been walking through our mission and vision, and we have finished our vision portion of our sermon series, where we looked at aspiring to proclaim the gospel, to be a refuge, to restore relationships with God and men. And we talked a lot about being a refuge and restoration the last two weeks. And before we started this series, we had a series on love and 1 Corinthians 13. And that was our core and basis of relationships with one another. So we're going to skip over the relationships piece for this week. And we're going to move into our mission as a church. And we don't have the mission on your bulletin. We do have the vision. And I encourage you to continue to read that and to understand who we are as a church and who we want to be as a church. Because as I've said, we're not there yet. That's why it's a vision. It's something we go after to attain. And a mission is something that we consistently live that it's an important imperative for us as believers. And the mission that we have here at Indiana Alliance Church is to know God, to be known by God, and to make Him known. And so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about this passion to know and be known. And in our, our sermon on proclamation of the gospel, that is how we are to live out making Him known. And I'm just really excited that we can come to these passages and and glean what God has for us as we exegete and what I like to call unpack the scriptures and see what God has for us. And one of the things you'll notice about the way in which I preach and how I've preached the last three years and how I will continue to preach is that these themes that we are looking at as our vision and mission, they consistently find their way into the sermons that I preach. A, because I believe that they are important realities for every believer, but B, also to consistently remind us of who we are as a church. And so this morning, we're going to look at how we can be a people who know God, a people who know God. So bow your heads with me as we uh, turn our hearts to prayer so that we can hear what the Lord has for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that we have the opportunity to know you, that it's possible for us to come to a place where we know you. That you, the God of the cosmos, who created all things, desire for us to know you. That is one of the most mind-blowing things in the reality of the truth of the gospel. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will be present with us this morning. That you will convince and convict us of our need to know you that we will take these passages and see what you did in the life of Moses and John and Isaiah. And may we apply them to our lives. May this be a time where we are filled with transformation, not just education. In your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. Well, social media was designed and developed for people to connect. It was a purposely built platform for you to connect with people that were in your life, but also people that used to be in your life, where you can find people from high school and college and your master's degree or your neighborhood. You can look them up on Facebook and reconnect. 
You can have those conversations via Facebook Messenger or Instagram or whatever your social media platform may be. It's a purpose, purposeful design to connect. Now, one of the things that can end up happening with, with the, all of these social media platforms is that you can share or you can see everything that's going on in people's lives. There are people who are what I like to call Facebook or social media oversharers, right? They take pictures of their food every day, and they, they want you to know that they cook something, and they want you to know the recipes that they use. They want you to know where they are at all times, where they said, oh, I checked into this restaurant, I checked into this church, I checked into my house, right? And it's kind of weird. It's kind of strange. But you can know a lot about people, especially those oversharers who are always taking pictures and never really being in real life, right? It's a strange reality that we live in. And, you know, social media has gotten all kinds of bad press recently, and, and rightfully so. It's, it's an interesting type of connection. Now, that desire to connect has now given a lot of people a false understanding of connection, right? We live our lives online. We live our lives in a place where we are behind a computer or behind a phone. I mean, you could see people at a restaurant with their wives or with their husbands, and they're looking at their phones. You could see someone going on a first date trying to get to know someone, and they're posting, like, oh, I'm hanging out with Margaret at this restaurant. I checked in. And she's like, hey, I'm right here. Right? I mean, we have seen this, this thing that was built for connection hinder connections because we think we know people just because we know about them. We know what kind of food they like. We know what kind of shoes they wear, whatever it might be. There's a semblance or a sense of, I know this person. But in all reality, in all reality, if we're completely honest, all that we come to is a place of knowing about someone and not really knowing them. We come to this place of knowing about someone and not really knowing them. And here is why I share that. Because too often, as believers, we are content to know about God, and we don't see the full purpose of knowing God. There is a difference between knowing about and knowing and we can look at the scriptures and think, while I'm reading this, I'm knowing everything about God. I have, I have a knowledge <clears throat> of who God is. And like I often pray that it's not as we come to the word for education, but it's for transformation. Because when you come into the presence of the living God, you will be and are transformed. It's not just an educational exercise when we open up the scriptures. Because we can know all about the word of God and miss the author in the midst of it. In fact, A.W. Tozer says, the spirit of God is the spirit of truth. <clears throat> it is possible to have some truth in the mind without having the spirit in the heart. But it is never possible to have the spirit apart from truth. We can have a semblance of understanding truth, but we miss the knowledge, the true, deep, intimate knowing that comes with it. You see, the enemy of our souls loves this. He loves this place where he can bring us to be content to know about, where we go and we Facebook stalk Jesus, right? Where we're online and we're trolling and we're watching and seeing what he's saying. Now, I mean, you might not do that, but it, it's, a, it's, it's one of those things that happens when we go to the Bible. Sometimes we're just trolling Jesus and we're not really seeking to know 
who Jesus is. We're not seeking to know who God is in our lives. But here's the truth. God longs for his people to know him. God longs for his people to know him. The God of the universe who created all things wants to be known by you. He wants us to know him. And as I had prayed, that to me is one of the most mind-boggling things about who the Lord is in our lives. He's not a God who is far off. He's not a God who's in the distance. He is present. He is with us. And he desires to be known by us, to share his heart, to share his love, to share his mind of what we are to see this world as. We must rest and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Because A.W. Tozer says, and I think rightly, only the Spirit of the Holy One can impart to the human spirit the knowledge of the Holy. The knowledge of the Holy. And he's looking at John 16, 13. It is the Holy Spirit who imparts truth. But many times we go to the Word without inviting the Holy Spirit to speak the Word over us. To transform us by reading the Word of God. Too often we go thinking that we can grasp it with our own human mind, but we can't. You and I cannot understand the Word of God fully, and we will not be transformed by the Word of God completely unless we invite the Holy Spirit to explain it to our spirits. As we look at today's passages, we'll see why that's the case. And the question that we're going to ask is this, why should we seek to know God? Why why should we seek to know him and not just know about him? What is it that happens in our lives when we know God? And so we're going to look at Exodus, Isaiah, and John. Excuse me. The worst time in the world to have a frog in your throat is during COVID. Sorry. Here we go. Exodus 33, 11. And you can follow along on the screen. Open up your scriptures. Those of you who are online, it will be on your screen, no matter what screen you're looking at. Exodus 33, 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Exodus 33, 14 through 16. And he, that's Moses, or that's God, said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest And he said to him, that's Moses talking to the Lord, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? We're going to look now at Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled and full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, 
for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Finally, John 10, 7 through 14. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. We have a sense of knowing God. But too often we are content with just knowing about him. But here we see passages that should give us this passionate desire to be like Moses, to be like Isaiah, to be like the disciples and the sheep that are of the good shepherd. And so again, the question is, you know, what, why should we get to know God? Why should we know him and not just know about him? And I believe the first thing that we can see comes from Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, and that's that knowing God brings comfort. Knowing God brings comfort. Now, King Uzziah died, and he was the last, quote-unquote, good king. And here we see in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is saddened by the death of King Uzziah because he knows that all of the kings following Uzziah are going to be terrible, trashy kings who are going to lead the people into all kinds of sin and all kinds of mess. In fact, it's those kings that... God called Isaiah to challenge, to call out, to say, stop being these types of kings. Here's what's going to happen if you don't stop. And so there was a sadness that came over Isaiah. And it might have been even that sadness that drew him into this space of being in the presence of the Lord. His desperation for God was so real because of his pain and because of his depression and because of his anxiety, and God met him. God brought him comfort. In the presence of God, he found comfort. And when we take time to truly know God, and we know that he is more than anything in our lives, anything that would come against us cannot stand against God. This is one of those things that Isaiah was proved in the moment of being with God. And many commentators believe that that this happened before everything else that happened in Isaiah 1 through 5. That it was this moment that set Isaiah apart. And he was given comfort in the presence of God, knowing that his circumstances could not be circumvented 
because God was present. God's sovereignty cannot be thwarted by our circumstances. His sovereignty cannot be thwarted by our circumstances. Nothing in your life, no matter what it is, no matter how painful, no matter how difficult, it cannot and will not thwart the sovereignty of God. God is still good despite all of those things. God is still on his throne. Look at the picture that Isaiah saw. God was on his throne and the train of his robe filled the room. The glory of God was present. It was a powerful picture of who God is. That despite the fact that King Uzziah died and Isaiah knew what was going to happen, God was still on his throne. God did not step down. God was not surprised by the circumstances of Israel. He was not shocked at how bad it was going to get. And Jeremiah goes even deeper in some of these things. And I, There's this interesting point in Jeremiah in, the 22, in chapter 22 where this king comes to him, a bad king who Isaiah knew was going to come. And he says, please, the Chaldeans are coming against us. Jeremiah, please tell us that the Lord is going to be with us. Beseech the Lord to be with us. And he says, not only is God not going to be with you, but he's going to help the Chaldeans destroy you. And this is all what Isaiah was seeing and happening. But despite all of that, God was still on his throne. He cannot be thwarted. And if we look in the passages of Exodus, we see this beauty of the Lord being with Moses. Exodus 33 is a beautiful understanding of who God is in the life of Moses. But also, because the veil was torn, you and I have access to the presence of God as well. The same reality of Moses is now available to all believers. <clears throat> and here in this passage, and we see that he knew God face to face. And he had a friendship with God. And in Exodus 33, we see this word that God knew Moses. And we see this word in John where we can know the good shepherd. And those two words in Hebrew, the word is yada. And the word yada means deep, intimate, passionate relationship with him. In fact, it's the same passionate word for intercourse in the scriptures, where they knew one another. And so there's this word that is being utilized for deep, real intimacy. And you and I can yada God. We can know him deeply. We can know him passionately. And the word that Jesus uses is actually the transliteration in Greek of yada, and it's gnosko. We have talked about gnosko many times. It is, again, a Greco word for this deep, intimate knowing, this passionate knowledge of. And you and I have that available to us. And I love the, 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 the Hebrew understanding of what it means to be face-to-face. It actually means more nose-to-nose -nose than it does face-to-face. -face. Because you can look at someone's face this far. But when you're nose-to-nose, -nose, man, nothing else can be seen. You can't see your circumstances when God is nose-to-nose -nose with you. You can't see the things that are going on and be afraid of them when God's glory is right in front of your face. And that is what Moses sought and longed for. And he would go to the tent of meeting with God where he would have that face-to-face -face conversation. And then Joshua, I love what it says, this young man, he didn't want to leave the tent. 
He wanted to know God so deeply. He wanted this intimate relationship with God so fully that he would not leave the tent. I mean, he might be in there for days and and days and days on end just spending time in the presence of God because he didn't want to leave. You see, their whole life was wrapped around knowing God. And they weren't afraid of the circumstances because they knew God was with them. They knew the power and the fullness and the reality of who God was. And when we live in the presence of God, when we seek to know him, we will know that our circumstances are impotent, that they can't do anything because God is all sovereign and all powerful. And the presence of the Lord does much more in our life than bring comfort God longs for us to be a people of his presence because knowing God brings conviction and change. Knowing God brings conviction and change. When Isaiah said he was in the presence and the glory of God and the robe was filling the room and God's glory was there and they were singing holy, 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 which is an aspect of the Trinity because they're saying that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all holy. And they're singing aloud this holy, 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 passionate cry. And as Isaiah looks at God, he recognizes that he's a mess. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell with a people of unclean lips. He was convinced and convicted of his mess, of his sin. And when we come before the presence of God, when we know who God is, and we see ourselves rightly, We will come to the same place. We will be convinced and convicted of our lives, of our sin, and say, wow, I don't measure up at all. Because we don't. But many times we can read the scriptures and and when we're not inviting the Holy Spirit into that, we can read it and, and be unchanged. We can walk away and say, oh, wow, you know, that's really great history. Wow, that was a really good thing that Jesus had said. But every time we come to the word of God, we should come face to face with God and either experience his love, his comfort, or his conviction. He wants to allow us to know him so that we can be convicted. And I believe this is one of the main reasons why believers don't go to the presence of God where we neglect this knowing and we're content to know about because we know that within us there are things that God is going to challenge us with. We know that there are areas of our life that we just enjoy. We don't want our agenda, our pettiness, our frustration, our anger, or, you know, our lust or whatever it may be. We don't want God to call us out. So we're content to just know about him. But when we're in the presence of the living God, Nothing can be hidden. The light of God will shine upon all of our darkness. And he will convince and convict us of our sin. But the presence of God also changes us. Isaiah was changed in that moment. Isaiah was made new. When we know God, we better know ourselves and our sin. The truth of the matter is that you and I cannot fully know who we are until we know who God is. We can't really know ourselves intimately or deeply unless we know him because he exposes the true self of who we are. And he changes us and he molds us and he shapes us 
You and I can't know ourselves apart from the presence of God. We see too then that this conviction and confession then lead to cleansing. Because knowing God brings cleansing. Knowing God brings cleansing. When he was in the midst of God. When Isaiah was in the very presence of the living king. He recognized his sin. He confessed it. And then God changed him by cleansing. By cleansing him. I want you to see a picture of this altar and understand a little bit more about this coal that comes upon Isaiah's mouth. You see, the altar that the coal would have come from would have been the altar of blood and fire. The altar of blood and fire. And this coal comes and cleanses the lips of Isaiah. He's changed. He's cleansed. Listen. The Trinity is all throughout the scriptures because present in that moment was God the Father and the altar represented the blood of Jesus and the fire represented the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because there are two elements that mainly describe the Holy Spirit and that's water, like we talked about with restoration last week, and it's fire. When we see the Holy Spirit come upon the early church, it looked like what? Tongues of fire. And so here we see this beautiful, beautiful picture of the Trinity bringing cleansing to Isaiah. Isaiah was then cleansed to go and do what he was supposed to do. And if you didn't capture the understanding of the altar being blood, God purposely uses the word atone. He uses the word atone in that moment. Why? What brings about atonement for the Israelites? blood. And so he uses this moment pointing to Jesus, but also cleansing Isaiah in the process, showing us who God fully is. Knowing God brings cleansing. And knowing God can heal any, any infirmity, whether it is spiritual, emotional, or physical. Knowing God can heal any infirmity, we talked about restoration last week. And we offered folks to come to be restored at the altar to be prayed over. And that's not just emotional or spiritual. It's physical as well. That the children's bread as the body of believers is healing. Here he was cleansed and healed from his iniquities. And we can find that cleansing and that healing in our lives. But I want to share with you that God can heal anything. God's presence can restore all things. Part of the cleansing that his fire and his blood and his presence brings is healing. But too often we forget that. Too often we, we, we just focus on the circumstance of our sickness, whether it's emotional, physical, or spiritual. And we forget that when we are in the presence of God, when we go and know him, we can feel his heart for his desire for our cleansing. Moses was relentless in pursuing the presence of God. He was relentless in going to the presence of God in the tent of meeting. And so was Joshua. This is how we are to live as well. 
When we get alone with him, we admit our sins, and then he brings about cleansing. Next, we can see that knowing God reveals our purpose. Knowing God reveals our purpose. I love this passage in Isaiah because it is so beautiful and so packed with lessons for you and for me. When he comes into the presence of God, when he sees his own iniquity, when he sees his own inability, when he even looks at the people that he's among and says, man, you know what? We are all a big mess. How in the world can that be changed? But then after he's cleansed, God asks a question. Whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, send me. When he was in the presence of God, he recognized his purpose. He knew who he was and what the call upon his life is. Too often, many believers just wander through life not knowing why they're here. Wondering, what, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to minister? But I tell you that when you get into the presence of the living God, when you pursue, pursue the cleansing that His presence brings, when you confess your sins in the glory of God and recognize that, man, I've got nothing to offer, when you receive His comfort and His cleansing, and you experience His presence and really know Him, you'll begin to know who you are. You'll begin to know why you are here. One of the biggest reasons for suicide in Europe, especially France, is because there's this sense of purposelessness. And I might have shared this with you before, but a couple of years back, there was a philosopher in France who said, you know what, if your life looks and seems purposeless, it probably is, and you should probably take yourself off the face of the earth so that other people can live into their purpose and you're not weighing them down. Suicides in France in that year exploded. We need to know what our purpose in life is. There's a passionate desire within us to say, why am I here? What change can I bring? And you and I can really only know the full purpose that God has for us when we're knowing who he is, when we're in his presence. And this is why people who are called to missions work, people who are called to the ministry, people who are called to minister at their jobs, no matter where they be, but they feel it and they know their call. Man, they don't back down. They don't walk away because they are positive that this is where God has put them. Isaiah was threatened all kinds of times in his life. He was beaten and he went through all kinds of craziness as a prophet, because he said things that nobody wanted to hear. Same with Jeremiah. Jeremiah would go, and like I said, he said to the king, not only is God not with you, he's going to allow you to get destroyed. He's on their team, not yours. That's a hard word. Imagine telling the king that truth, that reality. You know, if the president came and, you know, said to a prophet, just imagine, right, well, you know, is God with us? Tell, tell me that God's with us. Pray for our behalf. And he said, well, you know what? You're going to get destroyed. That's not news that people want to hear. 
That's not something that's fun. But Jeremiah knew that he had to do what God was calling him to do. He even says in the book of Jeremiah, I've been studying the book of Jeremiah, by the way. It's just, it's a, wow, it's rough, right? And Jeremiah says, you know what? God, if I try to deny you, if I try to not do what you've called me to do, it's like a fire in my bones. And I walk around and I try not to say something. And someone asks me a question and I just spit out what you're telling me to do because I can't help it, right? We can't help it. And that's the way in which when we understand our purpose, we can't help but live into it. And that can only be known and only be passionate when we know who God is. When we know who he is, we know who we are. And we can live like Jeremiah. And when God calls us to something we can't resist, it'll be like a fire in our bones. We've got to let it out. One of the things I've seen too is that too many of us try to do some things for God without asking God what we are to do. We think we assume what God wants us to do and we jump into stuff like, like Martha did. But what we need to do is sit in the presence of God to understand what we're to do because that is when we see our purpose and can live into it. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, says no man is, is fit to represent God and be the instrument of the Holy Ghost until he first receives the cleansing power of God. You and I cannot live into our purpose or call without the Holy Spirit empowering and cleansing us. It's not possible. It can't happen. Because his presence informs and empowers our call. His presence informs and empowers our call. When we understand our purpose, when we understand who we are to be and where we are to go, we desperately need the Spirit of God to go with us, to guide us, to direct us, to empower us. The early church in Acts 1.8, and we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts in, in a couple of weeks. The Holy Spirit came upon the church. Jesus said to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't do it on your own power. And when the Holy Spirit came, like fire upon the early church, wow, how they were to live into their purpose and call. And they did, fearlessly, because the Spirit of God was with them. When we neglect the presence of God in our lives, we reject the Spirit's empowerment. When we're not going to know Him, but we're seeking to know about Him, we're saying, you know what, I don't want the empowerment of the Spirit. I just, I just want to try and understand this and know about it. But it's relational. Spending time with God ought to be relational. It should be a moment of being nose-to-nose -nose with God. Not just knowing about, but really knowing who He is. I love how David captures this in 42.1 of the Psalms. He says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. I don't know much about hunting or deer or the woods, but in studying this passage over time in my life, I have come to know that when a deer pants for water, it's near death. And its tongue is so swollen that it is... <sighs> 
panting. It's not like a dog who pants for water and they're just being obnoxious and they want water, right? It's, it's a deer whose tongue is so swollen that if they don't get water soon, they will die. And what David is saying is, my soul longs to be with you so much that if I don't get with you, if I don't know you, if I don't stop everything I'm doing to set aside time to worship you, to experience your presence in my life, I might just die. I'm going to wither inside if I don't have that time with you. How often are we content in our Christian walk and not panting because we don't long for God the way David did? Our souls should long to be in the presence of God. And when we spend time in the presence of God, we can't help but live into our purpose and smell like God. Now, I love this illustration, and you've probably heard me say it about six times in the last three years. But I had a kindergarten teacher who smelled like really, really strong floral cologne or perfume. And when I would hug her, right, when she was just back when you could just grab kids and hug them, right? She would just grab us all and hug us when we were leaving. And I would go home smelling like her floral perfume all day long. And it was really strong and pungent and like, I don't really like this smell. But because I was in close proximity to her, I took on the smell that she put upon herself. And when you and I are in close proximity with God, we will smell like God. People will know that God is with us. They'll say, what is different about you? Why can you have such peace? Why can you have such compassion? Why do you feel comforted? In the midst of all of these circumstances, you don't get angry. You're not frustrated. You're not yelling at people. You're not going crazy. It's because they sense the aroma of God upon us. Ask God for this desire. One of my favorite lines that has just really challenged me in my entire walk with Christ once I read it was A.W. Tozer confessing and sometimes in his life he doesn't want God. And he said, when I find those moments where I'm not longing for God like David was panting for the deer, my prayer is, I want to want you, help me want you. I want to want you, help me want you. And that has been a powerful prayer in my life. Because there are times where I come and I'm like, I don't want to be convicted. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to go to the presence of God. I don't want to know him. I'm content to just know about him. But then I find myself praying that prayer, I want to want you. Help me want you. Ask to be convinced and convicted of your need for him. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But from there you will seek the Lord with your, uh, the Lord your God, and you will find him. But there's an if clause. If you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. God promises us that if we seek him with all of our heart, and with all of our soul, we'll find him. With everything that we have. But if we go half-hearted, if we go with the sense of duty, if we do just to do, that's not all of our heart and all of our soul. And there'll be disappointment, frustration, because something within us knows that we should know God. But when we pursue him with all of our heart and all of our soul, we will know him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you are a God who wants to know us and who wants us 
to know you. I pray that we will all, like David, long for you. That we will all, like David, be on that place of recognizing that if I don't spend time with you, if I don't know you in your presence, that I'm withering inside. And as we understand who we are and our purpose, may we have the fire in our bones like Jeremiah. May we see your comfort in our lives, knowing our circumstances have no power. May we be convinced and convicted of our sin, confess and repent and experience the cleansing that only you can bring.